Well, Danny, welcome to NABP After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I've uh, I've had a glass of wine, so who knows where this episode is going to go. Wait, I should go get a glass of wine. I have a Diet Coke. Mm, Yeah, you're behind. Okay, let me go get (laughs) some wine. Hello and welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. We usually record in the mornings, but it's nighttime, so anything goes. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dekshar McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our Harvard acapella days, because we are that cool, folks. Disclaimer before we start the show, the views we express today are our own and not those of our companies, especially the views we express on NABP After Dark, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Today on the show, we are doing a deep dive on AI and how it's changing the internet. You kind of sprung this one on me last minute. Mm-hmm. I don't know how AI is changing the internet. I mean, I imagine it's dramatic. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah. I know. I did spring this on you. I actually, I spent all week thinking we would do a deep dive on Shein um, and just fast fashion generally, because I'm sure you've seen all the drama with like the influencers and blah, blah, blah. And I still think at some point we should do a fast fashion deep dive. But then an article came out in The Verge that kind of stopped me in my tracks. It's titled, AI is killing the old web. And that's, you know, obviously a very provocative title, but then it just sent me down a huge rabbit hole. So, you know, here we are, I wanted to dig in. Like, what is, what's happening to the internet? Is it changing before our eyes? Probably, but I would like to make a commitment at the start of this show. Okay. Because I feel like every time we've discussed AI, I have gone down this doomsday spiral. And, you know, just been very concerned about the demise of the human species. Right. I'm going to make a commitment to you and to our listeners that I will not do that unless it is really, really warranted. (laughs) Okay. So you're giving yourself an out clause like that. Um, Yeah. I mean... I, I don't think what we're going to discuss today is going to lead us to full-on doomsday scenario. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, and I'm excited to get into it right after our shameless plug. KJ and I have neither the time nor the desire to chase down advertisers, so we like to use this segment to plug our own projects. KJ, what are you plugging today? I am plugging Minted Cosmetics. And guess what, folks? By the time you hear this episode, we will have started our 4th of July sale. The entire site is buy one, get one 50% off. So you know you need to stock up, okay? You know you've been thinking about it every week. You've been hearing me plug it and you've been thinking, oh, I really should pick up Nude La La lipstick or, oh, I am running out of mob over gloss. Well, now's the time, folks. BOGO 50% site-wide for the entire 4th of July weekend. So head on over to mintedcosmetics.com and check it out. And with that, let's get back to the show. It's time for Flashback Friday. As a reminder, this is our segment where we take a look back at an old episode and give you a quick update. KJ, what are we flashing back to today? 
Well, today we're flashing back just one week to the Kava episode. It was an eternity ago. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as you'll recall, we spent a lot of time comparing Kava to Sweetgreen and concluded that ultimately we think it's going to fare much better than Sweetgreen has, at least from a public market standpoint, because Americans just aren't that crazy about salad. Well, I saw an article, and this actually, I think, came out... um, longer than just a week ago, but I hadn't heard about this. I don't know if you had, mm-hmm. um, but Sweet Green is opening what it's calling the store of the future. They've started, they've opened a new restaurant format. The first one is in Naperville, Illinois, that is powered entirely by robots and machines, okay? These robots and machines assemble and then dispense your salad, depending on what you order, which, and you've ordered it at a kiosk. So there's basically no human interaction involved. And one cool thing is that the way the reason they're able to do this is because last summer they acquired a company called Spice, which is an automated kitchen startup founded by four MIT grads. So they used that tech um, that they acquired in order to create this sort of kitchen of the future. And, you know, they're very excited about it. They think not only is it going to significantly cut down on labor costs, but also greatly improve the ordering experience. So, you know, what do you make of this? Is this is this going to turn around their their market share and 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 all the rest? What do you think? I think it's a good move. I did hear about this acquisition, although didn't spend too much time thinking about it. Um I feel like since they've struggled to expand outside of urban centers and one of the biggest costs is labor, Anything they can do to make expansion more cost effective um, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I will say, as someone who has sweet green in my neighborhood, and it does fairly well in my neighborhood, the idea of removing all of the individuals who work there, taking the salad outside of the display that they have it in, and instead putting it in these you know, I'm picturing like cylindrical mm-hmm. cones that come from this, you know, high above and yeah. kind of spit out the food down below. To me, yeah. that is worse than my current experience. Mm-hmm. Like something coming out of a tube does not say fresh to me. Mm. Yeah. And I do want my salads to be fresh. And part of what what's why Sweetgreen has been, in my opinion, so superior to other salad chains like chopped or tossed or just salad is that it does seem like the ingredients are fresher Hmm. and so i don't love the idea of of the robots because to me it seems to cut back on freshness but if you're talking about being able to open up a place where you otherwise couldn't because the costs are too prohibitive and you didn't think the salad was going to be popular enough in a different city, then I get it. And if you're talking about licensing the technology to other restaurants entirely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then I really get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely get the licensing play. What I, first of all, do I think if we're just talking about dollars and cents that this makes sense? Sure. But you know what? I did a TikTok rant um, earlier today, I think it was, about grocery oh, stores you can't, you can't remember if it was earlier today or not no i can't all right it's been a long day I, yeah also i do tiktok rants all the time okay so but i did a tiktok rant 
about all these grocery stores requiring me to do self-checkout because I don't like it, okay? And I don't think I should be forced to do it. And that is why I will forever love Trader Joe's because they don't make me do it. And their checkout people are very skilled. They're very good at what they do. They categorize things in a way that makes sense. And they give my daughter stickers when we go through the line. I bring this up because I it makes me think of the fact that so many companies are just trying to pull human interaction out in order to save money and in and then create a worse experience. And that's what I worry would happen here. Now, I'm not typically the person who in the sweet green line, sweet green line is like, oh, can you do just like a dab of this or just like a little bit of that? But I know there are people who do that, right? Who are like, mm-hmm. yes, I do want the tomatoes, but I only want, I just want a little bit, you know, or like, I do want the sauce on the salad, but like be very light about it or like actually add extra, add extra, you know? And like, you can do that when you're talking to a human. I don't know how you do that with a robot. And also, I just think like, I don't like the idea of replacing, replacing people with automation um, or, or, or with machines. Like, I, I just don't love it. So while I get it and I could see it like helping them growth or at the very least helping their bottom line, if not necessarily helping more people get in the door, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't love it. I am still team human. Split decision. Yeah, that's fine. all right on to our main topic kj hit us with the facts how is ai in the least doomsday way possible how is it ruining the internet yes well i do think before we get to the answer to that question we should start with a bit of a refresher on ai and more specifically generative ai because that is what the verge article is talking about now as our listeners will recall we did an episode on chat gpt in december right after it launched which is really the really when the ai craze sort of took off like since then it launched November 30th since then I would say in the six seven months that have passed we have seen the generative AI craze just really explode right now chat GPT is a chat bot um, which means it gener- generates text in response to whatever your query is or your request is and it does this by scraping its huge back-end data set which we'll, we'll sort of get into a bit later um, and then essentially predicting what combination of words is going to best fit your request so it can write articles it can write scripts blogs novels you know it can it can make recommendations it can suggest edits to your work it can help you with your homework like it truly just about anything you can think of that requires content generation it can do and it does this very quickly right so that's chat gpt however chat gpt while it's just focused on text what we've seen really explode in the last several months is generative ai bots popping up for all sorts of content right including images and videos and music. And actually, we didn't talk about this, but did you hear about the AI Drake? No. Oh, oh okay. wait, maybe I did. Um, deep deep fake this, Drake? Yeah, I heard someone use a TikTok where it was like, I used to call you on my pizza. And it was like, <laughs> it was a TikTok of, it sounded like Drake, call, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, call me on my cell phone, mm-hmm, hotline mm-hmm, bling. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, whatever, hotline bling. But it was talking about call me on my pizza. And it was so set to a video of like a pizza rotating. Is that what we're talking about? Or is that totally unrelated? No, that's totally unrelated. 
<laughs> your for you page has just gotten very weird. Okay. But um, back in April, a Drake song called Hard on My Sleeve gained a ton of popularity online. The problem is it was not made by Drake. It was made entirely with AI. So the AI, so the internet started mm. dubbing this deep fake Drake. And okay. side note, it was a good song. Like it was a good song. Anybody who heard it would be like, yes, this sounds like peak Drake. And, and it sounded good. Wow. So what I had was really, really, really unrelated. That's <laughs> yeah. painful. Yeah. This sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't really remember it. So interesting. Now I need to go listen to this song. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I say that, you know, just to say not only now is generative AI focused on texts and chatting, it's, you know, infiltrated all, all types of content, music, images, what have you. And in terms of images, OpenAI, which is the same company that created ChatGPT, has an image generating AI called Dolly that is yes. now powering being image creator. And as we spoke about in a, in a previous episode, you and I both got headshots done mm -hmm. using AI, using a company called Try It On AI. So AI has infiltrated images, it's infiltrated music, it's infiltrated chat, and... <laughs> One of the more recent sort of iterations of this that I've seen is using AI to create human-like companions. So there's an app called character.ai that launched recently. It had 1.7 million downloads in its first week. And essentially what it allows you to do is create a custom AI personality that you can then chat with and basically like form a relationship with. So it, you no. can say... Yes, no. you can say you want it to be your girlfriend, you want it to be your homegirl, you want it to be your coach, like you give it a personality and then you interact with it. So these are just some of the ways that, you know, generative AI has exploded. So it's her. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people actually are comparing it to her. And for See? those who don't know that that's a movie about about AI. Yes. Um, right. Does life imitate art? Does art imitate life? I mean, I, I think what what's so interesting to me about all of these different uses of AI is like how quickly it's happening. I mean, I do feel like every day there's someone else announcing another way that they've introduced AI to, to, to you know, explode some system or, or do something better. A lot of the uses I've seen are actually quite boring. People are like, use AI to, you know, I don't know, do your math better for your company. I'm like, okay, you know, Excel exists, we'll be fine. But like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's quick. Yeah, okay, so how is it killing the internet though? Right, so let me just say from here on out, it's all going to be a mix of facts and speculation. Okay, so, <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so this brings me to the Verge article that I mentioned. Now, the basic thesis of this article is that AI's ability to quickly create a ton of content, much of which is pretty low quality, is completely upending the internet as we know it today. So this is a quote directly from the article, which is written by James Vincent, that I think sums it up nicely. He writes, 
AI systems, particularly the generative models currently in vogue, scale effortlessly. They produce text and images in abundance and soon music and video too. Their output can potentially overrun or outcompete the platforms we rely on for news, information, and entertainment. But the quality of these systems is often poor, and they're built in a way that is parasitical on the web today. These models are trained on strata of data laid down during the last web age, when they, which they recreate imperfectly. Companies scrape information from the open web and refine it into machine-generated content that's cheap to generate, but less reliable. This product then co competes for attention with the platforms and people that came before them. So essentially, the, the first big problem that this writer is talking about is that we're basically dealing with the fact that the internet is going to be flooded with information that's essentially plagiarized, right? Because it's an amalgamation of, of data that exists. So it's essentially plagiarized, but also it's less reliable. You know, like we can't rely on it to be 100% true. And, but because it scales so quickly, we're going to see the internet get flooded with this information in this content. So that is problem one. Is it clear to the user when the content is AI generated versus not? Because I'm still using the old school Google, you know, and mm -hmm. do, uh, should I actually be concerned with what I'm clicking on? Is it, I feel like it's still clear what, what source I'm going to, but I guess well, I'm not using Bard though. Well, but here's the thing, you're just talking about search engines, right? Right. And, and by the way, we're going to get into it, but Google is planning to kind of upend its, its search engine to be AI focused. Okay. But you don't know, probably, if you were to go to Refinery29 right now, Business Insider right now, and half of the articles there were written by AI, mm. you probably wouldn't know that, right? And as AI scales so quickly, you're going to see so many more companies use it, but then how much of this information is going to be correct? How much of it is going to be plagiarized from work other people have done who aren't getting credit for it? Like, basically, they're saying, because it scales so quickly, everyone's going to start to rely on it. But as more and more of this content hits the internet, are we all going to be sort of, you know, in a world where things where information is less true or less reliable, because it's coming from AI that, you know, isn't at least so far, isn't so great at fact checking. Okay, well, I have two immediate thoughts. First is, sounds like a great use case for disclosure requirements. <laughs> like, you know, all these companies that are creating content should be required to disclose when their content has been written by a human, fact checked by a human, you know, versus created by AI and not fact checked, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, when ChatGPT first came out, Everyone in the legal community was like, wah, wah, wah. like, are, are we going to be out of, not are we going to be out of jobs? I think everyone understood that there would still be a need for lawyers, but mm -hmm. there was this feeling like, you know, a lot of what attorneys spend time on is writing. And if what ChatGPT and these other AI um, tools do is write decently well pretty quickly, you know, do you need lawyers? But what you're saying is so much of the information out there that these AI tools are generating is, if it's wrong, that's actually a, a wonderful world for lawyers to exist in. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Once again, lawyers, um, you know, rise to the top, right? Because this is creating more, <laughs> more problems and potentially more lawsuits. But, I, you know, the thing is, what I think about is, because to, to your point around disclosure, if you went to Business Insider and there was an article about a topic you were really interested in, but you saw the byline, like, generated by AI, would you not read it? Would you be like, oh, I'm not going to read this? Because I kind of well, think I, you know, I, I might if, still read it, but after having a lesson from you about how unreliable it is, I would, I think, approach the article differently. Well, and so, but the question is, if this proliferates in such a way where so much information is generated by AI, like, are you going to spend your time fact checking the internet? Right. Is that what's going to be expected of all of us? Like every article we read, we then go try and find another article written by a human in order to fact check the article that we read. Because if so, then that's just a less good experience for everyone. Right. I guess I don't understand why the companies that are now turning to AI don't recognize that this is a problem and have an interest in creating content that is that is reliable. I think they do. And I think we've seen a couple of companies get um, called out. I forget, was it in Wired? It was one of these companies that they like wrote an article with AI about um, finance and it was just a lot of it was wrong. Right. And so obviously they are now being more cautious, but whatever that platform was, is being more cautious about just putting up straight up AI generated articles. But, you know, I just think as it becomes more common, and I think this is what the, the author of this Verge article is sort of arguing, as it becomes more common for people to use AI, it, it could also just become harder and harder to spot what is either just straight up not true or just not actually that helpful, right? Because it is just sort of like a generic recommendation based on everything that's ever been said on the internet is it actually going to once it's packaged and served to you going to be helpful and or truthful yeah i feel like it and now every article i guess needs citations you know like this makes me think when when i was in law school and i was on law review like one of the main things you did as as you're in your first year on law review is you spend hours going through a scholar's article and like fact checking them essentially you like review every citation you went to the source that the you know author was citing you mm-hmm. read the portion of the source that they were citing and determines like is this actually supporting the claim that's being asserted in this article and sometimes the answer was like, not really. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, actually, this isn't really supporting it. You kind of need to change it. And then mm-hmm. other times the whole point was just to clean up the citation. But whatever. Like, I kind of feel like now that's what we need for like the ordinary article. Right. Like the Internet at large needs yeah. c- citations. Well, Correct. yeah. And 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 so I I think that's so interesting because then again, what does that experience become for all of us? If like someone has to add those citations, right? Right. Or I guess. Well, I think that's be- the new job of the human. Like now the human's not writing the content, but you need to have a human who is f- reviewing the citations. Which I feel like takes even longer than just writing the content. Potentially. Potentially. So so that to me is just, and, and some of this is mostly a thought experiment, right? Because most of the articles on the internet so far are not 
written by AI. But given how quickly it scales, it's not hard to imagine a world where a year from now, two years from now, a significant amount of the content that you find on the internet is generated by AI. And then you are sort of doing the like, is it reliable? Is it not reliable? Are there sources? Is it linked? Like, let me go to the links and make sure the sources are right, so on and so forth. The other thing I'll just mention that the author says about this topic in particular is that sometimes the misinformation is harder to spot because these bots are so good at making the information sound correct, right? So it sounds correct, it looks correct, um, and sometimes it's just harder to spot like when a thing isn't right. And so they gave an example of um, someone asked ChatGPT to come up with a list of the top five water waterproof shoe companies um, because they wanted to start a waterproof shoe company. So like, give me a rundown of the top five competitors and like why they're, you know, why they're good, why they're bad, like the pros and the cons. Um, and basically what ChatGPT spat out was, you know, five well-known brands, but fairly generic information about each of those brands, none of which would actually be all that helpful if you're really trying to understand the differences (laughs) between those brands. Um, So it was sentences like, Columbia is a well-known and reputable brand. Their shoes come in a variety of colors and styles. Like that is not, you know, that's generally not that helpful. And so the Verge author then asked an actual expert hiker what he made of the list. And this is what that expert said. There are a bunch of words, but no real value in what's written. It doesn't mention important factors like the difference between men's and women's shoes or the types of fabric used. It gets facts wrong and ranks brands with a bigger web presence as more worthy. Overall, there's just no expertise in the information, only guesswork. And that, I think, I mean, when you think about what a chatbot is, it is predicting the best answer to a query using its data set. In a sense, it is guesswork, right? right? And so, but it's guesswork that, you know, sometimes can be harder to harder to spot what what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, this sounds like a worse experience <laughs> overall, <laughs> for sure. Right, right. So but it makes total, it also makes total sense, right? Like, the bot is not actually trying on the Columbia shoes, you know, like at Nest, we have editorial, an editorial um, line, you know, where we have people who are actually going to try out different mushroom coffee brands or Mm -hmm. different um, walking treadmills. I just bought a walking treadmill that we ranked the best, like the bot's not going to go do it, you know? So, I mean, I guess on the other hand, like in our version, you have one person's view of it based on their particular expertise. But in the bots version, they're not actually doing the thing. They're just looking to see what has been talked about most frequently. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no real expertise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a problem. So that's problem number one. Problem number two arises when we start thinking about how Google and other search engines plan to use AI. So this gets to sort of what you were asking earlier. Now, Google has been demoing how search of the future will look. And essentially, anytime you type in a search, you'll get a box at the top of the page that provides an AI snapshot. And then below that will be the typical blue links. Now, another site called Tom's Hardware describes what they believe the problem with this is. This article said, 
Google's new system is essentially a plagiarism engine. It's AI-generated summaries often copy text from websites word for word, but place this content above source links, starving them of traffic. If this new model of search becomes the norm, it could damage the entire web. Revenue-strapped sites would likely be pushed out of business, and Google itself would run out of human-generated content to repackage. So basically they're saying like, if this becomes the future of search, then websites are not going to get any traffic, right? Because you're going to scrape, Google's going to scrape the website, serve up the, the best answer to you. So you're never going to actually click through to whatever that article or that site may have been. And that's going to cause a lot of companies to go out of business because they rely on Google's sending them traffic. And then when once those companies are out of business they're not going to be generating the content so then what is google scraping right like like they're they are imagining kind of a doomsday but in the sense of like the whole internet no longer making any sense or being a place where any of us want to hang out but if we all know that problem one exists are we going to ignore the blue links like if we know that what ai is producing is not reliable, maybe we will still go down to the links rather than reading just what Google has put at the top. Maybe. I. But the thing is, like, even now, if something is not at the top of the page, the chances of people clicking on it is so slim, right? Like, if you're not in those top three links, the chances of you, of you getting a click are super, super slim. But now those top three links are covered by a box of text, that is going to sound right and is going to sound authoritative, right? Yes, yes. But part of the reason why we go to the first three links and only and we only stay on the first page is because we know that what's surfaced on the first page is most relevant, right? But now, but now Google's saying the AI snapshot is most relevant. Like, that's why they're serving it up to you, because they're saying, like, we clicked all these links for you. And so here's the most relevant information. But before we could trust Google, now we know we can't. (laughs) 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 Now, yeah, interesting. So what does this author say? Okay, so at some point now, these businesses that were feeding the AI, um, whatever, model, machine learning model, machine, whatever it is, um are out of business so what is google scraping what what is the answer to that what is it going to scrape for content well then is is are is google's ai scraping the content of other ai that scraped human generated content and are we just going to get into a world where it's just ai it's just ai AI makes the content, other AI scrapes the content, spits out new content, but it's all just this cycle of AI-generated content. Or can that is, is that not sustainable? And then somehow we have to like pull back on what we've now created. That sounds unsustainable. Right? I, I mean, I'm guessing there are a lot of people who work in AI who would say it's not it is it is sustainable who would say like and in fact it might be better because these ai are smarter than we are and are going to eventually get to a place where the articles they write are more reliable and then not only will they be super quick but it'll be better than like the article you could write 
But you that's have what, to feed it something that's real, you, <laughs> right? Like part of the problem of the initial public version of ChatGPT was, and they had these warnings that was like, hey, this has only been trained on information from 2020 up until 2021. So if you ask it anything about 2022, it's not going to be able to give you an answer, right? So if we're in a world where no other content business that isn't using AI can survive, then we're in a world where every AI machine needs a warning that says, if you're asking it anything about the year we're in, it's not going to give you the right answer. Or is it that essentially instead of, like basically you just have people feeding your AI information, not necessarily mm-hmm. articles, but information. Like, right. oh, like there's a flood happening in Texas. Someone tells the AI there's right. a flood happening in Texas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, Trump is running for re-election. Someone's got to tell the AI that because the AI doesn't know. Like, does that become... That's the th- new thing. It's just right. the, the machine feeder. Right. The AI feeder. Because the thing is right now, the internet feeder are all of these sites, but these sites do it because they have an incentive to do it because they get clicks. And if they no longer get clicks, they no longer have an incentive to feed information to the internet. So someone's got to do it, but like who's going to be incentivized to do it is the question. And the and the only reason it works is because you have billions of people doing it, right? Like even if Google hired a thousand people to be the machine feeders, that's not enough people to get all of the information happening in the world all of the time, right? But right now, somebody somewhere is is uploading something about what's happening everywhere in the world to the internet. So how do you replicate that? Right. Remember when we were talking about the writer strike, and we talked about how one of the WGA's um, asks or demands was that the AMPTP agree to not feed scripts into AI machines, whatever. Yes. I wonder if publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, whatever, if they would take the position that their articles cannot be fed into... AI search engines because essentially it is plagiarism like is there like not a copyright issue yeah well I think I think that is probably where we are people are going to try to head I I, and and I think you see that happening like I don't know if you've been following any of this news with reddit but reddit has they have a whole scandal on their hands because they've decided to charge people for their API. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they've decided to charge people for their API is because all of these AI bots are scraping, you know, the years and years worth of, of data that's on Reddit in order to feed their bots. And Reddit is like, why are we why are we letting people do this for free? Like mm-hmm. this is our value. And, and and also they're trying to IPO later this year, right? So they're like, right. if our if our value is our content and these bots are over here taking it and scraping it, like they should be paying us for that. So I, right. I do think you're going to see more of that happen where publications and, and you know, websites will try to gatekeep their content. I think the question is just like, how effective is that going to be? I think if you could if 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 companies could do that, then I think yes. I just don't know. Like it almost feels like it would require like an honor system, right? Because like a judge could rule you can't scrape an AI bot cannot scrape 
the New York Times. But if an AI bot does, right, and then and then makes it available, then all the other bots can just get it from that site and say, we didn't break any, we, we didn't break any rules, right? Like we didn't, we didn't get it from the New York Times. We just got it from this other guy. And then once it's a part of the algorithm, they don't even know which parts of it are plagiarized. They right. like, it just, it just becomes a part of the data set. Right. So, and then I think there's a question of like, how auditable is the training that's been done for the AI machine? Right. Like, can, can you audit what data has been fed into it can right because then because if you could if it's auditable then you can sue <laughs> right you like you could you could try to enforce the gatekeeping mm-hmm. but if it's not auditable then, but, then you're not gonna be able to approve well but and also who has the expertise to audit these things like who's the new york times gonna hire to go audit no well they Chat have to, right they have to sue they have to sue and it has to happen in court and they have to be, then they're going to have to have expert witnesses that, you know, that require the def- defendant AI, whatever Google to open the hood, show what's underneath, show what's in the machine, you know, it's going to have to happen. But yes, there's going to need to be like AI experts who then help New York Times discern whether or not their stuff has been plagiarized. But then... I feel like it's a question not just of are there New York Times article paragraphs floating around in the data set, but how did they come across them, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you po- po- post a blog and you quote New York Times word for your word, but you don't say it, mm-hmm. and then I take that, am I liable? I mean, I guess maybe. Is that how copyright works? You're the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, so. <laughs> yeah. I think it just is, it is an interesting thought experiment, but I feel like given how quickly AI is generating, I don't know how long it's just going to be a thought experiment, you know? But I, I guess a question I have for you is, you know, as we think about this, is this just the continued progression of the internet, right? Like, Wikipedia came along and essentially killed encyclopedias. And I mean, the internet itself came along and killed encyclopedias and all, and all sorts of other ways of gathering information. Ask Jeeves, you know, like, is, <laughs> like, is this just what it means for technology to progress? Or is this something we should be, you know, truly worried about? That's really interesting. They raised that you brought up the Wikipedia piece because it, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was in high school, like teachers used to warn about using Wikipedia as your main source because anyone can, can write whatever they want and you don't know if it's reliable. Like you have to go to the primary sources or whatever it is. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Like Wikipedia is just fine. But I do think one of the reasons why Wikipedia has lasted is because of those citations like i feel like there's a parallel here mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um you know so long as I, I i do think we have to answer this reliability question it ha it can't be unreliable that's not that's not gonna work right like every mm-hmm. other iteration of the internet has been better <laughs> and and right. better not not just because it's more convenient, but also because we have retained some base level of reliability. Well, 
I mean, to that, I would say, is that still true? Because like right now, for instance, one of the other things that people cite as a problem with AI is like if you go on Etsy right now, for instance, there's all sorts of AI generated like, um, you know, notebooks and calendars. Like people just, they just go to whatever site that creates images and they're just like, hey, make a, make a calendar for me. And then they put it up on Etsy and it's, you know, quote unquote, handwritten or handmade or whatever, but it's all just a bunch of AI generated junk, right? I really thought you were gonna say the calendar says Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Just everything's wrong. <laughs> April has 40 days. Right. <laughs> um, no, but just like uh, all this AI generated stuff is already like kind of rising to the top of a lot of these like search engines. It, it, like, is it better? Like, like already now, are we are we moving pr- always forward? Is the Internet always moving forward? No, or- that's definitely not better. It's not better, which makes me think it can't continue like this. Like there's going to need to be some kind of check or improvement. I mean, of course, like if you think about news that's proliferated on social media, obviously like one thesis as to why we are where we are with society is because of how much misinformation is on those platforms, right? So it hasn't been like a perfect, um, a perfect path towards more convenient and reliable information. Right. And that does make this situation all the more scary because of how many people are ill-equipped to identify when information is accurate or inaccurate. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, you can see why they titled the article AI is Killing the Web, right? Because depending on how quickly all of these changes happen, the internet could look very, very different from how we're used to it. Yeah. I'm going to be optimistic here. And I don't know if it's because of the commitment I made at this at the outset, <laughs> but I feel like this is a problem we should be able to figure out, whether it's by regulation, because you know governments have a vested interest in making sure that their populace is educated with the right information or whatever it is i feel like there should be rules and guardrails we can figure out and establish and implement because we should all be interested in actually having the right information no one wants to Mm. live life based on wrong information (laughs) (laughs) yeah so is that is that your final verdict you're optimistic you think we'll figure it out yes what is yours? <laughs> I want I want to be optimistic, but what I think this is going to be I think it's going to happen somewhat insidiously and 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 in a way that we're not we're not entirely clear that it's happening until it's happened. Mm-hmm. That that is sort of how I think this is going to go down. I don't think we're going to wake up one day and the whole internet's going to be a mess. I think every day a little bit more of the internet is going to be a mess, but it's going to happen slowly and, you know, over time. But I just think the pull of if your whole site's purpose is to generate content and there exists a machine that will generate that content a thousand times faster 
not even a, a million times faster and much more of it. I think the pull of that is going to be far too great for people to just ignore. And so I think they're going to, I think people are going to use it and then, then more people are going to use it. And then, and then those bots are going to get better, right? Like just the nature of technology is that they are going to get better at providing more reliable information. Is it ever going to be a hundred percent reliable? Who knows? But I just, yeah, I think it's going to happen slowly. So I, I guess what I'm optimistic about, I'm optimistic about what you said, which is people want reliable information. So while I do think the internet is going to get worse in some ways, I also think people are still going to crave reliable sources of information. Yeah. And so I don't think, I don't think they're going to completely go away. I just think the internet's going to get going to get a bit worse i mean it might get worse before it gets better yeah maybe maybe let's end it with that (laughs) (laughs) great let's end it there Okay, it's time for judge and jury, friends. And if you're new here, this is the segment where we dive into recent news and ask whether there was a display of good or bad judgment. This week, we're talking about Diddy. More specifically, his decision to (laughs) sue Diageo. KJ, do you want to break it down? Yes. So um, I thought this was really super duper, super duper interesting. So this is what CNN has to say about this. Basically, Diddy is suing Diageo for racial discrimination, claiming that the spirits company that produces De Leon, which is the tequila brand that he co-owns with Diageo, failed to market De Leon on par with its other brands, including Don Julio and Casamigos, which is George Clooney's brand. So basically, Diddy is saying in this suit, He's black, and so uh, Diageo didn't want to market his brand more widely. Basically, he said they kneecapped their sales growth because it considered it a black brand and marketed it only to, quote-unquote, urban customers um, versus Casamigos, which Diddy feels like they marketed to everybody, allowing that brand to now be you know, valued over a billion dollars. Um, this prompted Diageo to end its partnership with Diddy. In a statement, Diageo said Diddy's bad faith actions have clearly breached his contracts and left us no choice but to end our business relationship. So that is how Diageo responded. My question is, do you think this was good judgment on Diddy's part to sue Diageo? It's the, the version of the facts here, I feel like are very far apart. Not necessarily in the point you raised about like, you know, relegating the brand only to like urban centers, essentially. But there's, I've read one article that said Diageo claims Diddy only put like $1,000 into the line. But then if you read the complaint, um, they it says that Mr. Combs has put the full force of his marketing business and personal resources into his partnership. And I'm like, mm-hmm. the full force of his resources versus $1,000 are two very different things. Right. So, you know, if the if I'm taking the facts as Diddy has presented them at at face value, I guess, I don't know. Is it a breach of contract? That's what I want to know. Is it a breach of contract? 
Like, I were there curious. legal obligations that were actually ignored? Unfortunately, the, the complaint has a lot of redacted information, including information that says that where there are purportedly specific statements that were made by Diageo that were like discriminatory in nature. But they're mm, all redacted. That's, that's interesting. You know, I will turn here to one Ms. Bethany Frankel. Mm-hmm who chimed in on this as she loves to do she chimes in on literally everything these days Mm -hmm. um but she said and i thought this was an interesting point so as i'm sure many of our listeners know bethany frankel created a spirits company skinny girl margarita she then sold that company to jim beam for a vast sum of money i think the reports i've read have said you know over 100 million that is how she became very very wealthy um but the point that she made in her video was she released that brand and Diddy released Ciroc, which, by the way, is another um, spirits brand that he co-owns with Diageo. They released those when the market was far less saturated, when there weren't a million celebrities who had liquor brands. Now, you know, Bethany says, like, everyone and their mother has a, a wine brand or a liquor brand or tequila. You know, you've got Kendall Jenner with her 818 tequila. Mm-hmm. You've got the Vanderpump Rosé. You've got this, that, and the third, right? And she's like, so now... It's a completely different market. She's like, and I think the mistake Diddy is making is expecting to be able to make Ciroc money, which he launched many, many years ago with De Leon in this new super saturated market. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I, the thing that made me sort, the thing I sort of agree with in that statement is just, it feels weird to me that Diddy is saying Diageo did not like show up for me and market for me when they clearly did with Ciroc. Ciroc has been a huge success for Diddy, right? Like, and, and in terms of him putting his full force and weight behind a brand, and now I know he did that with Ciroc because I used to see mm-hmm. this man in Ciroc commercials all the time. I cannot personally recall a Diddy De Leon um, commercial. I'm sure it's happened, but I can't recall one. But like they had huge success with Ciroc. So presumably... At some point, you felt like the Diageo relationship was working. But now that De Leon sales aren't where other brands are, is that, are you blaming it on their marketing when it could just be that like the product isn't as good or or people are just excited about other things? Like, you know, like in my business, I have products that work, that sell really well and products that flop. That's business, right? So like, I, I don't know because like you said I don't I don't know what I don't know what the complaint says I don't know what happened behind closed doors but it does feel a little bit like but wait you've had this relationship that's worked really well it, I mean it's interesting in the complaint he cites Ciroc's success as essentially evidence that Diageo must have done something wrong with De Leon because like it wasn't Diddy <laughs> is what he's saying like <laughs> like like his brand was his brand and he made Ciroc super successful. So like what happened? It must have been it must have been poor treatment by Diageo. But I guess to Bethany's point, like maybe it's just a different time. Right. Well, and the other thing is like Ciroc now and now I don't know if this is Diddy trying to have his cake and eat it too, right. because I thought of Ciroc as more of an urban brand. Like I think the reason Ciroc did so well is because like it became the vodka of choice in the black community. I know when I was with my black friends and they wanted vodka, they were ordering Ciroc. I didn't see that same sort of loyalty mm-hmm. when I was with my white friends, mm-hmm. right? They, they mostly were ordering Grey Goose. So, but, but 
the blacks made that brand very, very successful. And I don't think Diddy was upset about it. So is it that the problem is Diageo didn't market it wide enough? Or is it that the black community isn't as excited about your tequila as they were about your vodka? Because I also say this, vodka mixes with everything, right? Right. And I mean, like, and tequila doesn't, I'm a tequila girl, but tequila doesn't mix with everything. So it's already more, I think, of an acquired taste as far as spirits go. So can you really compare it apples to apples? Like, I I don't know that you can. Right. Yeah, it's very hard to tell from this complaint how much merit there is because of there are a fair number of redactions. I mean, they're definitely citing, you know, dollars that were poured into other brands, skews of De Leon that were discontinued theoretically for invalid reasons and just like general um, neglect of putting money behind behind De Leon. But how much of that was how much of that was legitimate because like it just wasn't taking off. Right. And it's not illegal to market certain products to certain demographics. It's illegal to exclude different demographics, but it's not illegal to target specific demographics um, with your product. And and it's also, I presumably, not illegal for Diageo as a company to make decisions about where it invests more of its dollars. If you see one brand taking off, it would make sense that that's where you're putting more of your investment. So I really don't know. I, I... it's tough to say it's bad judgment because we don't know all of the details, but it doesn't feel like the world's most solid judgment, particularly because like now, according to Diageo, he's breached the contract. Right. You know, like I just, I wonder if this could have been handled differently. I think we'll know a lot more as the facts that were in these like redacted statements um, come out, right? Like, if there are some overt overt statements of discrimina- uh, that were discriminatory in nature, then I f- I'll feel like this is much more legitimate. Well, time will tell. All right, folks, that's it for this week. We hope you are loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be sure to follow us on social. I'm Danny underscore D and underscore MC on TikTok. And KJ is I am underscore KJ Miller.